Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to Vetsplanation. I'm your host, Dr. Sugarman. And again, we're going to have Dr. Z here. You might have remembered her from the Diabetes Talk. So I really appreciate you coming back on again today. Uh, my pleasure. Happy to be here again. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about Addison's disease today. So I have talked about it on a podcast before, but very much on the emergency side. And Z is my go-to for all things general practice. So a lot of times I fix them for the immediate portion, and then I have to send them over to her to do all the other stuff. Let's <laughs> take it over. Yeah, yeah exactly. No problem. <laughs> all right. So she's going to talk to us about Addison's disease today. Yes. Addison's disease, what is it? It's an endocrine disease, which means it's a hormonal disease. There's lots of different hormones in our bodies and... Hormones are basically messengers that tell one thing to do another thing. And usually there's a gland somewhere that secretes the hormone and another gland somewhere else that picks it up and then does something with it and secretes another hormone. Yeah. <laughs> so there's always these loops of, of talking to each other. So Addison's is actually hypoadrenocorticism, hypo meaning too low, and then adreno referring to the adrenal gland. And corticism is cortex or the outside of the mm -hmm. adrenal glands, which is where the hormones that we're talking about are being produced. But it's just easier to say Addison's and it's then- less of a mouthful. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay, Addison's disease, much easier. But I, I actually was wondering what, where that name came from, because there's always like some dude or yeah. dudette named that is, the disease is named after. And I actually found out about Thomas Addison's. He was an English physician for humans. And he lived in the 1800s mm -hmm. and he liked to do autopsies on dead people. Like he would just cut them open and look at things and try to learn about them. And he was very interested in the adrenal glands and he found that people would die from the same symptoms and then they tended to have the same problems with their adrenal glands looking small or whatever. Yeah. So he figured that out and he, he did a lot of other work too. Like he figured out pneumonia, the pathology wow. of pneumonia. So he's pretty famous. And another fun fact about him is I think he was a little weird and crazy because he liked to cut up dead people. <laughs> they <laughs> like probably... you have to have a little bit of weirdness there. <laughs> <laughs> he had his own like inner demons, I think. Anyway, he ended up killing himself sadly when he was about 67. He just threw himself over a wall, but the wall was only nine feet tall. So he threw himself head first. So he, oh my gosh, then that killed himself. Interesting. That's yeah. So that's Addison's. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's called Addison's because he figured it out. So what's happening with that disease is the outside of the adrenal glands, which maybe I should talk about where they. Yeah, are. where do they? Where do they live? Yeah, they are these little glands that live above our kidneys or towards our head, cranial, as we would say, cranial to the kidneys. If you imagine a little triangle, like a the equilateral triangle with even sides and then yeah. smush it a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and round the edges. That's what the adrenal glands look like. And they're normally pretty small and they have this outer layer and then an inner layer. And the outer layer is where these specific hormones are made. So there's actually three of them. And I was actually listening to your previous podcast and I was reminded about the, the salts. Salt, sugar, sugar, sex. and yeah. sex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the salt part is what we call the mineralocorticoids. I have such a hard time saying that. It, another mouthful. I mean, it's just a lot of mouthfuls. Yes. Yeah. But that one, I can't get around it. I'm going to have to pay it over and over. <laughs> so that one balances our, our electrolytes, our salts basically helps with many things, which I'll go into in a second. And then the other big hormone there, the sugar one, is the glucocorticoids, which is also known as cortisol, or it's just another steroid that helps 
do many things, which I'll go to into in a sec. Um, and then the last one is like some androgens, some sex hormones are produced there too. But that's not the only spot, obviously, that those are made, right. that we have our ovaries and our testicles where, where the majority of the sex hormones are produced. And that doesn't seem to be as affected in general, probably because it's in other places as right. well. And we really just don't worry about it in dogs and cats because we're mostly neutering them anyway. Right. <laughs> so really, we're just talking about the glucocorticoids and the mineralocorticoids. And when you have Addison's disease, there's a deficiency in those hormones. They're not being produced anymore. And so all kinds of problems happen when you don't have them. So let's talk about the glucocorticoids. Yeah. They basically, in summary, help us deal with everyday stresses. And they do that by telling our liver to produce glucose and give us energy. So glucose, as I talked about in our diabetes yep. lecture, is the, the smallest yep. molecule of sugar that's used to make us have energy, basically right. function, and all of our cells need it to work. <laughs> if we don't have those glucocorticoids telling us to make it, then all kinds of bad things happen. Glucocorticoids help us move our fat and our protein to, again, produce energy. They talk to our blood vessels, actually, to help us respond to stresses. And they help regulate our body temperature and our blood pressure. And it helps our stomach maintain a mucosal barrier so that we don't get ulcers and digest our own stomach. Yeah, I actually <laughs> didn't know that. So it was yeah. very interesting to read about that. Yeah, glucocorticoids yeah. have a ton of functions. And they're, they're involved in many metabolic functions besides that too. It's a very important hormone that we need every day. The mineralocorticoids help us re again regulate our electrolytes. And so the big ones that are working for us um, to maintain our fluid and our blood volumes are potassium and sodium. And that if we don't have the right levels of those, then again, our, our blood pressures are off. Um, our muscles aren't working. The heart isn't working right. The heart is very responsive to potassium levels. Our gut needs our sodium and potassium to work properly. And then our brain, of course, yeah. needs it too. When we have those so sodium and potassium levels going out of whack, it's very dangerous and right. life-threatening. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wanted to talk about the normal physiology of how these hormones are circulating in our body and making all these things happen. It's what I call a negative feedback loop in general. So if you were to think of like your thermostat in your house. Yeah. Um, say it's winter time and you have it set to heat the house if it drops below, I don't know, 66 degrees or something. It's made to detect the temperature, right? So that's what it's detecting. And if the temperature falls below that 60 whatever, then it talks to the furnace and says, turn on and start heating the house. And so then the furnace turns on, starts heating the house, and that thermostat is then feeling the temperature go up. And when it hits 70 or whatever you want it, It'll say, oh, that's where I want to be. And then it tells the furnace to turn off. And it's like this constant loop talking yeah. to itself. It's constantly adjusting and tweaking things to keep things balanced in the temperature where you want. So that's how all of these hormones work. And it's really important that we understand that to, to figure out what's happening with Addison's disease. So in the loop, you got to start somewhere. So I'll just start in the brain. Okay. Important there, part. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's kind of two parts in the brain that are in this loop, and it starts in the hypothalamus, which is a part of the brain. It secretes, when we don't have enough glucocorticoids and mineralocorticoids, just like the temperature is too low, right? This is what it detects. Oh, I need more of that. Right. So it secretes a hormone called the 
corticotropin releasing hormone, so CRH, which we don't really talk about that much because it's right. like a small signal, but it's important. Yeah. <laughs> and that goes to the pituitary gland, which is just a little bit lower in the brain. And the pituitary gland has many different hormones functioning out. It's like a hot center for yeah, hormones. Is. Yes. Yeah, it has many different functions and talks to many. It's like the, I don't know. What am I trying to say? Like the cent- central, yeah, I feel like, like it's Houston talking to the spaceship. Exactly. Like... <laughs> I was thinking also like your Google Nest talks, like you can tell, have a talk to your lights, you can have a talk to your garage, you yeah. can talk to all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> so the main center. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the pituitary then is like, oh, now the hypothalamus is telling me that we need more glucocorticoids or mineralocorticoids. So it squirts out ACTH, which is adrenocorticotropin hormone and that's also a mouthful so we just say ACTH that's what it is and it's coming from the pituitary gland and that then goes and talks to the adrenal glands and just the outside part of the adrenal glands and it tells them okay time to release mineralocorticoids and glucocorticoids because the boss says we need more time to turn the heat on essentially yes let's turn the heat on (laughs) it's like the furnace right turn on the adrenal glands do a little squeeze and those mineralocorticoids and glucocorticoids are released they released into the bloodstream. Into the bloodstream, right. yep. Yeah. And then they can start doing all of their lovely functions to deal with stress and keep our lights where they need to be. And then when there's too much, then it turns back off and just circles around again and again. Also, a little fact is the ACTH actually keeps that cortex the right size. So if oh, you okay. don't have ACTH, like there's a lack of it, those adrenal glands will start to shrink. Yeah. And you can actually measure those and figure that out um with an ultrasound yeah <laughs> i will say it, they are hard to find yeah <laughs> they're, they're tiny small. to begin with yeah. and then <laughs> if they're not working they're really small really tiny yeah yeah <laughs> and, and the opposite is if you have the opposite problem which is cushing's disease we'll talk about another day yeah then they can get really big right there can be a tumor on one of them that's secreting too much or the brain is just telling them to produce it over and over and so then they both get big yeah so yeah it influences the size of the adrenal gland I think that's the whole physiology. <laughs> it's a lot, right? But, it is. but it's such it's an important thing that happens inside of our body. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable all the messages that are happening constantly to keep us going right in many different mm-hmm. ways with all of our organs and everything. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, so now, now we've kind of like talked about like you know, a little bit about Addison's and the judo glands and stuff. Are there different types of Addison's disease? Yeah, and you talked about them too. There's just the main two that we talk about mostly, but there's actually three types, and I'll go through it. There's the typical Addison's disease, which is the most common, and that's what we normally deal with. And that's when the entire adrenal cortex is faulty. So both mineralocorticoids and glucocorticoids are not being produced. And it's I think it's like an autoimmune cause. Like as far as why does this happen, we're not sure. Like a lot of these diseases, but it seems to be the body starts to attack its own adrenal glands and then they just stop. Yeah. So that's the most common. And then there's atypical, which is where only the very outermost part, I think, is where the, the glucocorticoids are produced. That's where just that part is not working. So we don't have glucocorticoids, but we still have mineralocorticoids. So all of those electrolyte disturbances are not happening, but we just don't have glucocorticoids and can't deal with stress. That's a little bit harder to diagnose because yeah. oftentimes we use those lights as a big red flag. 
Right. That's when we're trying to diagnose what's wrong. Usually it's, oh, those lights are wrong. Must be Addison's list test for that. Yeah. So it's a little trickier when it's just the atypical, but you can still figure it out with step-by-step. Yeah. And then there's what we call secondary Addison's, which is hard to understand because maybe that's also atypical. Anyway, secondary is very rare. That's when the pituitary gland isn't working. Like so that's the gland in your head. Yeah, the yeah. brain tumor like has affected the pituitary or somehow. Or there can be a weird infection that gets there or something like that. Also, it can happen when steroids are taken away too quickly. Say you're giving steroids as a treatment to right. a patient, and then instead of tapering it off slowly like you're supposed to, you're, you're giving high doses and then suddenly you just stop it. And what's happened is like all those steroids have suppressed the ACTH mm-hmm. normally from happening. And again, that makes our glute, our uh, adrenal glands stay the right size. And so when you don't have ACTH, it just shrinks down and uh, atrophies. And yeah. so then when you take away the steroids, we can't produce our own anymore. It's just been taken away and then ah, we can't make any. And then we start falling into Addison. So it's rare because usually we were pretty good about tapering, I think, yeah. steroids. I don't see that that often. And honestly, I don't know if that's something that would eventually get better. seems like it probably would. I feel like it should yeah. eventually, like your heater should kick on, right? Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> it gets cold enough for long right? enough. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's hard to know. I don't, I haven't really seen any that's been a secondary one. Yeah. So I don't know for sure. Again, it's super rare. Yeah. I just was reading about it. Yeah. I mention it, but def- definitely we, we deal with normal, typical Addison's the most. Mm-hmm. We don't have both mineralocorticoid or glucocorticoid. And then now that we've kind of like talked about what the types of them, are there differences in what the symptoms of everything are? Yeah. So the symptoms of Addison's are very vague. And I think you talked about that too. And it's probably one of the hardest things you deal with in the ER is there's no one symptom that you're like, yes, this is Addison. It's often called the great pretender because it affects so many systems as we talked about all the different places that these hormones work. So GI is a big one, vomiting and diarrhea bloody stools, belly pain, dehydration. It can also cause increased thirst and increased urination, which we'll see with many mm-hmm. different diseases, including diabetes, like we talked about, right. kidney disease. Urinary um, tract infections, like UTIs. so many things. Yeah. yeah, so it's like super not specific. Yeah. Um, a lot of times they're just weak and uh, losing weight. And as it progresses and turns into the crisis, it gets much more dramatic, like they'll collapse and their heart will slow down. And their blood pressure drops and they're like in shock. And yeah. that's the Addisonian crisis when they've not had those hormones for too long and they can die. It's, it's an emergency for sure. Right. And that's probably how you've seen them. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's <laughs> the majority of when I see them is usually in crisis at yeah. that point. Because the interesting thing is also it's, you know, these very intermittent signs. It's like they have this vomiting and diarrhea and then they get better yeah. without really anybody doing anything. And then they come, come back again and then something like they'll come in and you're like oh let's let's um treat for your gi symptoms let's give yeah. you some fluids and Absolutely. let's give you some anti-nausea meds and here's some diarrhea medicine and that helps yeah um and then sometimes maybe you give a steroid for whatever the shot of dex oh maybe this is an allergic reaction here's right, some right. steroids and that helps them so much because that's what they needed so they needed right <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah if they have that waxing and waning history yeah. and then suddenly it just gets super bad one day and then and then you run the full, full diagnostic blood work and then yeah. you can figure, oh, this actually is Addison. Yeah. Since you're talking about this now, how do we diagnose it? 
yeah, blood work is how you end up in a nutshell diagnosing it, but let's go through it. And you did a bit on yours too. I was listening, <laughs> but so the CBC is the complete blood cell count. You'll see what's what we call a lack of a stress leukogram. So these patients are usually stressed out. Just coming to the hospital is enough All to patients, make yeah, a exactly. dog or a cat, or cats don't get this, but yeah. <laughs> make a dog stressed out. So usually we'll see certain uh, levels of white blood cells that indicate stress, like their neutrophils will be up, their lymphocytes will be down, those sort of things. And you don't see that. So there's normal looking blood cell counts, mm. or maybe those um, lymphocytes are a little bit up, which is yeah. weird for a stressed dog. Right. So... There's that. And then sometimes that's all you see when it's an atypical Addison's mm -hmm. dog, right? Because they're right. then on the chemistry panel, you have your electrolytes on there. And, you know, the typical Addison's dog will have a very high potassium and kind of a lowish sodium. And then the ratio between the two is decreased. So that's what we talk about mainly is the sodium to potassium ratio. Because sometimes you can have a lowish sodium potassium ratio and they're not Addisonian. But if the potassium is actually high, like mm -hmm. above the normal range, then that's a big red flag. Right. And so then the next test you would run would be called a baseline cortisol test. And so that's looking at cortisol levels, right? Those glucocorticoids. Right. And if it's normal, five or something, then you're like, okay, it's not Addison's because it couldn't be. Like right. if they had Addison's, they're not going to have any cortisol. Right. So it's a baseline cortisol is super helpful to just rule it out, but it doesn't rule it in. Say it's low. And you're like, okay, I think it is Addison's. Everything's adding up. But you have to do one more thing. You have to do what's called the ACTH stimulation test yep. to confirm that it's Addison's. And so we have fake ACTH. It's called cortricin. That's the hormone that's produced in the pituitary gland. And we can give an injection of it to the dog and then test their cortisol level after that. And see so, how it's responding. See yeah. that furnace is turning on, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you like my analogy. I do like your analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have your baseline cortisol is really low, and then you give them some cortisone. An hour later, you check the cortisol level again with a second blood draw. And then if it's still low, like usually it's super like undetectable, it's 0 0.2 or less on an Addison dog. And if it's still that same number or you can't detect it after the cortisone shot, then they're definitely Addisonian. Yeah. And this is one good thing about this disease is that's how you can diagnose it for sure. Like it's it's your gold standard for diagnosing this disease. Yeah, which so. is really nice because we have that in-house. You know, there's so many <laughs> things that we have that we have to send out or we have to yeah. just rule things out in order to get to that disease. But this is such a nice one because you can I love it. Yep. have an in-house test to do that. Yep. We yeah. have the, the ACTH or the Cortricin and we yeah. can just do those stem tests yeah. as we'd like. Yep. Nice. Yeah. And there's other like diagnostics that you can do too that can help us figure out like their blood pressure will be low. And mm -hmm. if you do that ultrasound, you can see atrophied or very tiny adrenal gland. Um, and then on the urinalysis, not much there, except maybe it's dilute urine. When the electrolytes are out of whack, it can actually wash out those kidneys and then they can't concentrate their pee anymore. And that's what makes them thirsty. And so it's a different way of causing that symptom in this disease. But yeah, that's how you get your increased thirst and increased urination is because those electrolytes are not normal. Yeah. But really the kicker is that ACTH stem test and, and you need blood work to diagnose it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're talking about like the baseline cortisol and that's, I do think that's also a hard one too because we don't always run that if we're just seeing some of those other signs mm -hmm. just 
vomiting, diarrhea, but yeah. when we started seeing all of that blood work, so hard to diagnose those atypical ones, like you said. Yeah. We don't always run it because we don't always think about this disease. And then the cortisol would be normal and you'd be like, man, right. it's not Addison's. Exactly. But it might be. It could be. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think it takes a little bit of time on those because mm -hmm. like they'll come back again and again. Exactly. And you're like, oh, maybe this is. And right. then you can do a stem test and maybe it'll be negative, but maybe it'll be positive. And you'd be like, oh. Just so know. <laughs> and I know there's also a gray zone to this as well. So I've had to test Nora, my great dame, for it because she would not eat intermittently and have intermittent vomiting and diarrhea. Yeah. And hers was like 2.5, this perfect gray zone. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it was like, it could be, could not be. We just have to retest it later. Yeah. So sometimes we do have to do that too. But yeah. I think sometimes yeah. it's like getting worse over time too. Right. It's like progressing. Exactly. And I just realized I misspoke. I think baseline cortisol would be low on the on it usually is low on the atypical still yeah, yeah yeah it's the lights that would be normal so that's why exactly. you're like i don't think it is but yeah but then you check your baseline cortisol and it's low so, and that could trigger you doing the stem test yeah right, right. but there is a gray zone yeah because usually if it's addison's it's really low i'm right. gonna say yeah, usually i see it say like on our machine under 0. 0.5 i think it says yeah or 0. yeah 0. 0.2 or something, or something yeah. like that yeah, yeah. If it's less than that right then it's high suspicion Right. Exactly. Sure. And I've definitely seen ones that came back as under 0.2 and then we did the ACTH stem test and then it came back as high. You mm -hmm. know, they're like, well, it wasn't it. So you're not producing yeah. it at that moment, probably because of illness, but not Addison's disease. Yeah. yeah so yeah. super important to do that test. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we should start putting it on. What do you guys do? The full panel? Our full panels, right? Does it have cortisol? It doesn't. Well, no, it doesn't have cortisol, but a lot of times I'll add it on because yeah. especially if I have high suspicion of somebody saying, oh, they were vomiting last week and I gave them a bland diet and then it resolved and then they're back mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I'm going to think about it. Yeah. Or specific breeds. That's the other thing. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was going to talk about the breeds, but there's so many of them. There's like, so the list many just of went them. on and on and on. And then, <laughs> honestly, I've seen it in so many, like, other breeds that aren't on the list that I just want to say many and any breed. Yeah. yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any breed that cannot get it. So when do we typically, what ages and stuff do we usually diagnose them? Oh, any age. There's the juvenile onset ones as young as three months even, not two months. Yeah, and then they can be much older too, like later in life, get it 13 years old. Where, right. But usually it's in the middle, I'm mm -hmm. going to say. Yeah, I think that in school for like our testing, I think they said there was two peaks to it, like somewhere around two years old and again, somewhere around 10 years old or something like that. Okay. At least that's what they asked us to remember for vet school. Okay. But I feel like it could be anytime. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. The little bit of reading I was doing was saying the mean is three to four years mm -hmm. or the median, typically the young to middle aged. Yeah. Things, but yeah, really it's kind of across the board. Right. Okay. And like I said, yeah. so many different types of dogs that get it, right? Do cats get it as well? No, it seems like it's a dog only thing. Although I'm not sure. Did you look it up? I have looked it up before and they have like cases that they think of cats that might have had it before. Okay. But it's not like a widely known thing that right. cats usually get. I've, I've never seen it. Honestly, I yeah. haven't really looked for it, though. Yeah. But Neither do I. Seems <laughs> to be not a thing right. for them. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even then, I don't think you can run our in-house test for it. I think you have to send something out for them instead, um, if I remember correctly. I'll have to look that up. But okay. But I think that's what I remember. But now that we've diagnosed this, so how do we manage them? Good. Managing um, where I come in after you've saved them. <laughs> And then I see them usually like a month later and there's two treatments that we start and need to continue for the rest of the dog's life. 
the first one is replacing the mineralocorticoids, and that's an injection. It's called Zycortal or DOCP, which stands for desoxycorticosterone. <laughs> I'm impressed you could say that. I couldn't say that. <laughs> I practiced. <laughs> but yeah, we just say DOCP, and there's this off-brand now called Zycortal that's a little bit cheaper, so we, we usually just call them Zycortal injections. And it lasts for about a month, and uh, we usually have to start at a higher dose when they're first diagnosed, and then we can slowly taper it down to about 50% of that starting dose. And it usually takes four to six months to get there. I taper it about 25% each month if their lights continue to look good. So first I check their lights. The sodium to potassium ratio is above 25. 25 is bad. In the 30s is better. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I want them to be like in the 30s and not at 25 or near that. Then I think it's working well and we can decrease by... 25%. 25%. And it depends on the dog's weight too, which can fluctuate. So I'm always like calculating it. And then we check again in another month, check the lights. If we're still doing okay, keep going down. So mm-hmm. not usually about four months down the road, we can get down to the final dose. Okay. And then we also have to replace those glucocorticoids. Right. So the easiest way to do that is just give a steroid. Prednisone is the one that we typically use for dogs. And we have to be careful with that because if you give too much, then you can get bad side effects. Just taking steroids can be problematic. The biggest thing is it can cause increased thirst and urination. Still stuck with that. (laughs) And for different reasons though, but they're peeing a lot and owners are complaining that they're having accidents in the house and they're super thirsty. It makes them hungry. So they're stealing the trash and they're gaining weight. And then if you keep it up, they start to lose muscle. Usually on their head, they'll get pred head. (laughs) (laughs) head. See the bones yep. <laughs> stick out on their head. It's sad. You can avoid all that if you are very conservative with that dose mm-hmm. of prednisone. They hardly need any. Like the nat- the natural body produces just a tiny bit. Yeah. And usually it's 0.1 mg per cake or less even. And so honestly, I just use the, the dog's clinical signs to tell me what the dose will finally be. And we talk about it at every visit when we're tapering that zycortal dose. I'm like, okay, how's his thirst? How's his urination? Right. Is he eating a lot still? A lot of them are like, he's just panting all the time. That's another thing. It's like panting, panting, panting. panting. Right. And, the, and that usually all gets better as we get down to that final dose. Yeah. And I found that you guys actually sent him home a little too high. But <laughs> most of the time. I, I know it, you're being cautious because right. they were dying. Because <laughs> they were dying. Right, exactly. So we do a little bit of a higher dose. Yeah. Yes. But in a way, it's like, oh, look at this redhead. We need to give one. <laughs> <laughs> they do it. Like, get that just in a month. <laughs> it seems like it. The last one I saw was he was a pointer. Huh. He was an old pointer, though, so oh, okay. I think he Maybe was it's just a mixture thing. Yeah. Losing muscle anyway, but yes, he definitely had too much. And so I'm getting way back on that. Yeah. And then if it's a small dog, we usually end up, it's hard to cut those pills, especially the oblong prednisolones. Right. Yeah, it's a real um, weird. Quarter is even yeah. hard. So exactly. I usually switch them to the liquid. There's a mm-hmm. one they make for kids. It's a three megs per mil. Oh, nice. Suspension. It's really cheap and easy to get at any it's pharmacy. Yeah, great. So I just write him a script for that and tell him how many mils point meals or whatever to give every day. Do you have to write on there specifically, don't put any sugar-free additives or anything in it? I never thought about that. I just wonder if they use like xylitol or anything for the flavoring. I should ask the pharmacist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they put in it. I've prescribed it for years and not had any troubles, but now I'm going to look into it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I put a lot of the smaller dogs on that because you can really get down to a nice, accurate low dose. 
Yeah. And then that's it really is just keeping them on those two medications. The Zycortal, I will say, sometimes their lights aren't good when I do the recheck. And so you can do two things. You can give the Zycortal shot more frequently, like instead of 28 days, give it every 25 days. But that's hard for the owner to count and make that appointment. So I usually try to just keep it at once a month and just go back up with the dose. That's the other thing you can do is just give a little bit bigger injection. Yeah. And so we're careful with that in the beginning and checking those lights. Mm -hmm. And then I can help them with that plan when I look at those numbers. But pretty much all of them seem to be just fine with a smaller dose. Like, good. I don't think I've ever, there was one, that dog had lost weight or gained weight, I think. So they needed a little bit more. Got it. So I went back up. But that was like years later. Yeah. That's why we have to keep checking. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. So that's the other thing. Once we get to the final dose, then it's every six months. I like to do a full checkup, exam, check their weight, talk about everything. And once a year, I like to run full blood work, Teresa and senior panel stuff. And then every six months, alternating, just plain electrolytes if, okay. they're, if they're otherwise doing okay. Lights every six months, full blood work. Once a year. So, so just to clarify, because they're still coming in each month to get their DLCP injections or Zycortal injections. Just now we have a dose that we know that they're going to get. Yes. Yeah, so we once that plan is established, yeah, right. then it can be technician appointments for those yeah. Zycortal shots. They have concerns, they can schedule an exam again. Right. But uh, usually it's just a quick poke. And then also on that last visit, if the owner is comfortable and interested, I can show them how to give the Zycortal nice. shots and we can sell them the whole vial and they can just start doing their shots at home. Awesome. They don't have to even the dog in yeah but every six months six months <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah so you can some people are comfortable some are not and right. some are happy to bring the dog in once a, once a month so yeah whatever they want to do and that's for typical addisons so for atypical addisons we're not doing the injections correct so it was interesting because there was one that was recently diagnosed that i took over and they had given docp even though it was yeah. atypical And so I just went with that and kept giving it. Okay. (laughs) And that's because actually a lot of these atypical ones will eventually become typical. I think, forget, there was a study, not all of them, some stay atypical forever, but it seemed like there was a portion, a significant portion of Mm -hmm. dogs in the study that eventually turned into typical. Interesting. Addison. So to just avoid having that whole crisis, even Mm -hmm. just give the Zycortal every month. (laughs) Okay. So That's good to know. In that yeah. case, I was just I just kept going with it because they'd already st- started doing it. Right. His lights were normal. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't know if it's from the DOCP or we're just normal. Yeah, it was normal anyway. <laughs> but if it was, like, let's say if it with the DOCP, obviously it doesn't have any harmful effects. Then nope, it's just yeah. like doing nothing. Then if if they already mm-hmm. have it, yeah, you can't overdose with that yeah. medication. Yeah, nice. When they are just on pred, though, do you still have them come back for rechecks? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever had. There's so few and far between. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I haven't no. managed a lot of atypical ones. I guess I would be less. I would be worried about them turning into mm-hmm. typical. And I would say at least every six months. I think also you were mentioning before about coming in after a month. After we've diagnosed from usually at the ER, you're having them come in in a month. I think that's actually still important for them to do, even if they're atypical. Because at least then you can adjust the pred dose to lower. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. then we sent them home with <laughs> Yeah, so probably the initial one month checkup, yeah. even for an atypical, is needed. And then we can go from there. Yeah. yeah. I think you kind of touched about the armors too. To, to, how do we know that the medication is working? <laughs> yeah, basically all those symptoms go away. <laughs> so they're not vomiting and 
having diarrhea anymore. Their lights are normal on the rechecks and they're just like a normal dog again. Nice. Which is what we love. And then is there anything that the pet's parents should do like when they are in times of high stress? Because I know we need more glucose during times of high stress. Yes. Yeah. And you talked about that too. You said you give a double dose the day before, the day of the stress, and then the day after. Honestly, I think they only need it the day of. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But it's, there's no right or wrong with it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're going to go into crisis that quickly okay. again. And again, that I, I just see so much overdoing with the right. prednisone that I'm always like, no, just give it double dose on the stressful day. That's all I need. Okay. Yeah. I think we're just like so overly cautious. We're yeah. just like, oh, we don't want to come back in, in crisis. So <laughs> Yeah. I try to just make it easy for the owner too, because okay. then they, they might forget. Oh no, right, I right. messed up. And it's, no, it's okay. Just, just give another dose, yeah. extra dose. So double dose either can be give double that once a day, like instead of half a tab, you give a full tab yeah. that day, or you can give a half tab in the morning and a half tab in. Okay. It doesn't really matter okay. as long as you give Good. it double. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Yeah. And then does this diagnosis like really decrease the pet's lifespan at all? No, it's an excellent prognosis. Once you get it figured out and keep managing and monitoring, they have a normal lifespan and are like a normal dog again. Yeah. So it's an excellent prognosis. Yeah. I, know that I do <laughs> love what this disease because like I said, it's sometimes we have this great easy way to be able to diagnose them and then it's not like we're going to cut their lifespan no, not at all. Thank goodness. Yeah. It's one of those treatable diseases. The hard part is keep going with the treatments and it, is a, it can yeah. be a little expensive. I actually looked it up in our computer trying to figure out how much does it cost for a hundred pound dog? Yeah. The zycortal is the expensive part. Prednisone's dirt cheap. Like, so cheap. Yeah, yeah. that's it's no so problem. Cheap. Yeah. Uh, but the zycortal injections are expensive and, and it's priced by volume of the injections. Yeah. That's another reason why we taper it because right. it gets cheaper right. <laughs> as you give less of it. So if you have a big dog, though, like I had a Great Dane Addisonian dog that his shots was like 200 bucks every month because yeah. he just weighs so much. But usually the first shot for a 100 pound dog is going to be around 300 bucks. And then hopefully we can taper it down to about 165 ish long term. And then for comparison, a 10 pound dog, like a little terrier or something, it's about 60 bucks initially. And then hopefully we can taper it down to about 40 bucks once nice. a month. So smaller dogs is a lot cheaper. Yeah. And then you have every six months you got your exams, which hundred bucks now for an exam, and then the blood work, a couple hundred bucks for mm. full lab work, and then lights are what eighty bucks. They're like eighty bucks, yeah, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So it adds up, but at least that's only every six months. It's really right. just the monthly zycortal that's the biggest expense, and I yeah. think mostly for the bigger dogs. We already talked about side symptoms coming back. Um, yeah. Actually, it can be again vague. <laughs> Because you weren't sure what the symptoms were to begin with. But it's possible for an Addisonian dog that's well-regulated to eat some bad turkey. And right. have Get in the trash can. <laughs> GI right. yeah. side effects from something else, not his Addison's. I think the important thing is, if you, especially if you go to a different vet, that's because your regular vet isn't open or whatever, mm. tell them that your dog is Addisonian and tell them when they had their last DOCP shot. Yeah. So that they're aware of that problem and can rule out that recurring or or not being well-regulated. Yeah. But. I do appreciate when people tell us that, like when they come into the ER, yeah. because that's a really, you know, I might be talking to them about something completely different until I know that they have Addison's disease. And I'm like, oh, we need to recheck your blood work. Yes. So, yeah. 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 Was there anything you wanted to add to this? I don't think so. Just yeah. that it's, I, I think it's one of the better diseases out there. Like hypothyroidism, I like that one too, because you can totally fix it. Great. You're going to talk about that <laughs> on another podcast, because not, that one's kind again, of not mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. You never know. Not, but 
I never have that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so last time I had asked you about like your favorite animals. So oh, yes. this time I'm going to ask you, why did you decide to become a veterinarian? Uh, I think I'm lucky in that I'm one of those people, like ever since I was little, that's what I wanted to do. I can, first thing I remember having kittens at home. I want to be a veterinarian. <laughs> Forever. What I want to do. It was either that or an astronaut. I really think nice. the outer space is amazing. Yep. It blows my mind. But I get seasick really easy. Like, oh, that might sickness. be a problem. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, no, okay, it's a vet. I'll be right. a vet. <laughs> so you don't go on many boats, I'm assuming. <laughs> no, it's hard. I like, I want to, but right. I know, it sucks being, being seasick. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. I can't really enjoy things. No. Yeah. So no. did you go to school like directly, like, to become a veterinarian, like was- yeah, to New Mexico State, and I was—it's a big ag school, so they had a lot of fun classes. On there was a horse class. I thought I wanted to be a horse vet, actually. Oh wow! Yeah, until I went to vet school. Well, then you're like, no, no, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, <laughs> dog and cats are better. But yeah, so there was a lot of animals there, and I—I I started out with animal science as my major, and then it got a little too farmy there's a lot of like cowboys and stuff mm-hmm. there and it was just a little bit i don't like country music you know like, <laughs> same here i understand <laughs> yes thing. and so then i switched to biology and uh, majored in that yeah and then i got into vet school and yeah i was like always my goal is to get into vet nice. school when it got into oregon state and <laughs> no i didn't even to oregon i just kind of assumed you went yeah. to washington they only had a large animal hospital at the time oh. back in the day yeah and so they had this program with Washington State. So we would go up to Washington State for a year and a half. We were there oh, wow. doing small animal stuff. And then we yeah. had to go back to Oregon State. So there's a lot of moving. Yeah. Kind of sucked. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I actually have a diploma from both schools. That's so kind crazy. Kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> but I applied for both schools because I would rather just gone to Washington State because they have a four-year program there. Right. In but, small animal. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah. But they declined me. So I'm actually... I'm, I'm a beef at heart, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sad when they lost the other day. <laughs> it is sad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Cool. Thank you, Dr. Z. Again, I super yeah. appreciate it. And I know we're going to be talking about, I think, Cushing's disease next time that you're going to be on. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry yes. I didn't get it together today. No, no. This um, is already going to be a long enough episode and okay. Cushing's disease is just a whole Another other... topic. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Less of an emergency, but there's some good yes. stuff to which, talk about. Which is definitely why I want you to talk. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. Yeah.